Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. We are up to part three today of a series that we began uh, a few weeks ago called Foundation. And uh, there's no question that uh, it is so critical in life that we have something that guides us, a framework to live by. Reading from uh, Psalm 119 verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So the psalmist says there, I have hidden your word in my heart. Now, I think a lot of people today hide the word of God, but they do that in a negative sense in that they hide the word of God by ignoring it. They hide the word of God by neglecting it. They hide the word of God by avoiding it. They hide the word of God by doubting it. And as we've been looking at over the past few weeks, I've endeavoured to remind us that we need a certain foundation. That in a world confused about truth and what truth is, the Bible clearly spells out truth. In a world that doesn't offer us any absolutes at all, God's Word gives us absolutes. In a world that normalises human brokenness, God's Word clearly shows us that humanity doesn't need its brokenness legitimised. It doesn't need our brokenness normalised. The brokenness of humanity, friends, needs to be redeemed. Can I hear an amen this morning? And the Bible clearly shows us God's plan to rescue humanity to heal the broken, to set the captive free, to restore sinful man back into right standing and right relationship with a holy God. That is the gospel of, of, of truth. That is the message of the cross. It is what Jesus established when he went to the cross for you and I, that he would remove all of the barriers, all of the obstacles between us and God. They're done. And now we have free access to God, not on the basis of anything that we've done, but on what Jesus has done for us. And the Bible gives us this beautiful picture that we become clothed in his righteousness when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. So friends... That truth is something that we need to, number one, understand. Number two, we need to appropriate that for ourselves. We need to grab a hold of that. We need to be liberated by that truth, and then we need to live according to that truth. Can I suggest this morning there is nothing on the face of this earth that even comes close to providing us what God's Word provides. 
Now, I'm going to read from 1 Peter 1, and it's interesting because in our 30 days in the Word, this is actually, uh, this chapter is the selected reading for today. And Peter says in verse 22, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Such a rich passage. But he says there in verse 23 that the word of God is living. And he says that the word of God is eternal. In verse 25, he says that the word of God will endure forever. And it is so important for us to constantly remind ourselves that the word of God is alive. The word is living. Now, the word of God is not growing. It's not enlarging. Nothing is being added to it. But there is a living quality about it that brings life. Hebrews 4 and 12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So there the writer says that the Word of God is living and it has the ability to impact and to influence every area of our lives. And we unpacked this a little bit last week. But he talks about soul and spirit. So yes, absolutely. It's a bit of a given. It's stating the obvious that the Word of God impacts our spiritual lives. But then he talks about joint and marrow. And that's maybe one thing we haven't thought about too much is that the Word of God impacts our physical being. And then number three, he talks about thoughts and attitudes. And the Word of God should be shaping our worldview, should be shaping our thoughts, should be shaping our attitudes. And again, it's important for us to understand that the Word of God must be an active part of our everyday living, not just something we go to on a Sunday when it's time to go to church. Because the truth is, if all you are getting from the Word of God is what we share in church on a Sunday, you are actually going to starve. The Word of God, friends, is not printed ink on a page. It's a living thing. It's organic. It's alive. And we must fall in love with the Word of God. Satan loves it when we fail to read God's Word because it will keep us immature. It will keep us weak. It will keep us vulnerable. And it will cause us to be incredibly easily defeated. Friends, the Bible is our foundation. But today I want to take a little side journey as well to help us appreciate that the Bible itself is an absolute miracle. Why do I say that? Well, some people regard the Bible as a book. The reality is it's not a book. It's actually 66 books all bound together. 66 books. The author is God by His Holy Spirit inspiring and flowing through and working through 35 or 40 different authors. Now, if we think that this book is just an irrelevant religious text, we would be totally, totally wrong. The fact that the 
Bible that we hold today is what it is, is at the least so improbable that there's got to be something more to it. But as Peter wrote, as we just read, God's word is eternal and enduring. And I would suggest it has to be a miracle because it's so impossible. And here's why. The Bible was written over a time span of 1600 years from the earliest writings of Moses to the first century AD. Most of these 35 writers had never met each other. They'd never communicated, never talked. They often didn't even have access to the previous person's writing. They came from 10 different countries. They lived years apart. They lived miles apart. From between them, they had 20 different occupations, from farmer to scribe to tax collector to shepherd. Yet listen to this. Every single one of them, under the inspiration of God, all totally agree. They agree in essence, they agree in content, and they agree in divine revelation. That's the miracle of God's Word. As I've already said, we live in an age where the world today has rejected the authority and the miracle of God's Word, which means we've got no, we've got no measuring stick. We've got no absolutes. We live today in an amoral society with no moral, social, or spiritual point of reference. And today the vast majority of people would say that the Bible is an outdated, irrelevant religious history book and nothing more. The world would even say it's foolish to believe the Bible, to claim that this is the Word of God is some kind of nonsense. Well, Jesus' words 2,000 years ago, Matthew 24 and 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 2,000 years after Jesus said those words, the book we have today, the Bible, is still the largest selling form of literature on the face of the planet. The Bible today continues to be the authority to the church that was established in the early days of the first century through to today, the church of Jesus Christ which bases its doctrine and core beliefs on what we call the Bible, is still growing. And that's a miracle. Who's into science here? Anybody into science? I'm not that much. We've got a couple of hands. You see, many people seem to be of the opinion that if you're going to believe the Bible, you've got to switch your brain off. You've got to suspend all rational thought. But let me suggest that if the Bible is true, it must not just be spiritually sound, it must also be scientifically sound. And I'm going to do this a gross disservice today for two reasons. Number one, because we don't actually have the time to dig into the incredible depth of scientific knowledge that is actually contained in the Word of God. And part B, I'm not a scientist. But let me give you just a taste for those who are into science. Let's look at astronomy, for example. Jeremiah 33 and 22. I will make the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars of the sky and as measureless 
as the sand on the seashore, as countless as the stars in the sky. In other words, God said 1,500 years before Christ, God said 3,500 years ago that it's impossible to count the stars in the sky, that they're numberless. Now, that doesn't sound like a great revelation to us, but it has only been since the invention of the radio telescope that man has discovered that the universe contains billions upon billions of stars and planets and that the universe is actually infinite, which means until modern times, astronomers believed that you could count the stars. The astronomer Tallini, for example, who was an expert in his day, stated that we're 1,056 stars in the heavens and that's it. Kepler said there were 1,005 and that's it. But scientists today know that there are countless billions of stars, but God knew it all the time. Let's talk about space and the earth's position in space. Job 26 and 7 he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. It's in God's Word. Now, the greatest scientists in the world, right up until relatively recent times, believe the earth to be flat. And we've got some crazies that still believe it is. They believe that if you sail too far towards the horizon, you will fall off the edge. That's what they told Christopher Columbus when he set out. They believed the earth's got to be supported by something, so maybe it's supported by pillars. Many religions used to teach, and in fact still teach, that the earth is carried on the back of elephants. But the Bible said all along that God hung the earth upon what? Nothing. But it's only in recent times, historically speaking, that the scientific community actually now agrees with what the Bible said all along. That the earth is literally hanging in space on nothing. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. God said that 3,500 years ago. There was not a scientist in the world until recent times that could even dream of such a concept. It wasn't until 1530 that Copernicus proved that the, the earth hung in space. And not only does it hang in space, but it's a round earth. Isaiah 40 and 22, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. The message says God sits high above the round ball of earth. Now I understand that's a contemporary translation. But this concept of a round earth was totally unknown to scientists that the earth is a globe would have just been a nonsense. They believed the earth was flat, that the earth was the centre of the universe and the sun revolved around the earth. Now when Galileo proved that the earth wasn't flat and that the earth revolved around the sun, the Catholic Church had him recant before the Pope or they were going to kill him. But as I 40 and 22 God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And you know what? I believe that there are still truths contained in God's Word that we don't yet understand. So if you read things in the Bible that you don't understand, that's okay. Just trust God with it. 1 Corinthians 1 and 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. The weather, meteorology, Ecclesiastes 1 and 6, 
The wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. The Bible right there is describing wind cycles, a phenomenon that was only discovered a little bit over a century ago. That the wind actually turns around, goes up in a jet stream, then comes back down on the earth. Job 36 and 27, he draws up the drops of water, which distill as rain to the streams. He pour, the clouds pour down their moisture and abundant showers fall on mankind. What he's describing there is the water cycle. Something we all know now, evaporation, condensation, precipitation, the water cycle. 3,500 years ago when that was written, man didn't even know where rain came from. But God knew about the water cycle all along because God created it. I hope you're getting this and I hope this excites you because it does me. Good, thank you. Let's get dirty. Sanitation. In the book of Leviticus, God gives to Moses some sanitary laws for the nation. At the time, it was common practice and unfortunately still is in some remote communities where food crops are fertilized by human waste. The Bible forbids it in the book of Leviticus. Now we know now that human waste carries all kinds of bacteria which causes all kinds of diseases like typhoid. But the Bible gives clear instruction on this stuff, including the disposal of human waste, the cleansing of a house if a man had leprosy, the burning of a wooden home if a person had a contagious disease. And all of these kinds of directions were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ahead of their time. The washing of hands ahead of its time. The, the burying of bodily waste in the earth hundreds of years ahead of its time. God also instructed that certain animals should not have been eaten. They were declared unclean. Now, when God declared those animals unclean, nobody would have had a clue why God declared those animals unclean. Not a clue. Scratching their heads. God said it, so we've got to do it. But now we know that all of those animals that God declared unclean, many of them are scavengers and they are subject to parasitic infection, which is carried through the food as we eat it. God knew all the time. Biology. Let's talk about the blood cycle. You didn't know we were going to do this today, did you? The function of the blood was an absolute mystery. People were very confused over the function of the blood. In fact, it's only a little over 100 years ago that when somebody was ill, they used to do a bloodletting because they thought the blood was poisoning the body. Leviticus 17 and 11, for the life of a creature is in its blood. God knew all along. Physics, Hebrews 11 and 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So God is saying that the visible, which is mass or matter, is made out of the invisible. Now, hundred years ago, we just would have been scratching our heads and going, well, it's just a nonsense. I don't know. Is that just, is that some kind of, you know, religious poetry or something? It's just seemed a nonsense. But then along comes Einstein, wrote his theory of relativity in 1924, which was then proved in 1944 when they split the atom in Mexico and the world was ushered into the atomic era. Einstein wrote E equals mc squared, E is energy, m is mass, c is the constant, which is the speed of light. And he's saying energy is invisible, mass or matter 
is visible. So here's a little exercise if you don't understand any of that, which I don't. But if you pinch your skin, what is it you're pinching? It's not flesh. It is actually energy just in a different form. And metaphysics tells us that there is nothing else in existence other than one thing, energy. And God tells us by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. He knew it all along. I'm going to move on from science because we're all glazing over. <laughs> we haven't even scratched the surface though. God's word is sound. Let's look at some biblical prophecy. Because there are literally hundreds upon hundreds of biblical prophecies which through the course of time have proven to be true. So here's, here's some history. First of all, let's talk about Babylon. Babylon is this great ancient superpower. And if you know anything of your biblical history, you would know that Israel was actually taken captive by Babylon and spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Well, Jeremiah wrote this. And this is actually at the height of Babylon's power. And he said in Jeremiah 51 and 37, Babylon will be a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, an object of horror and scorn, a place where no one lives. Guess where Babylon is today? It's vanished. It's gone. What about the destruction of Jerusalem? Jesus left the temple, Matthew 24 and 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these buildings? He asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Forty years later, that is fulfilled. The emperor Titus was getting a little bit sick of the Jews. So he absolutely destroyed the temple and scattered the people. The city of Tyre, Ezekiel 26 and 7. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, from the north I'm going to bring against Tyre, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses and chariots, with horsemen and a great army. He will ravage your settlements on the mainland with the sword. He will set up siege works against you, build a ramp up to your walls and raise shields against you. He will direct the blows of his battering rams against your walls, demolish your towers with his weapons. His horses will be so many that they will cover you with dust. Your walls will tremble at the noise of the war. Horse... Um, Horses, wagons and chariots when he enters your gates as men enter a city whose walls have been broken through. The hooves of his horses will trample all your streets. He will kill your people with the sword and your strong pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your wealth and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls, demolish uh, your fine houses and throw your stones, timber and rubble into the sea. I will put an end to your noisy songs and the music of your harps will be heard no more. Verse 14, I will make you a bare rock and you will become a place to spread fishnets. You will never be rebuilt, for I, the Lord, have spoken, declares the Sovereign Lord. So that was written hundreds of years before Christ. But then in 332 AD, Alexander uh, lay siege to the city of Tyre, and guess what's there today? Nothing. And it is literally a place where fishnets are hung to dry. Friends, we could go on forever, but I hope I've made something of a point this morning. I'll invite the worship team to come back. The Word of God is just that. 
It is the Word of God. It's smarter than us, wiser than us. It is alive. It will outlive us should Jesus tarry. We've got to love it. We've got to hunger for it. We've got to meditate upon it. We've got to fill our lives with it. And I pray that we would be a people who allow the word of God to nourish us and to strengthen us. Again, Hebrews 4 and 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And to finish where we started, praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your words. Let's pray. Hey, Father, we want to thank you this morning for the enduring power of your words. It is eternal. It is living. And Father, it is infallible. It has stood the passage of time because it's not a religious text. These are the living words of God. We haven't even touched the surface, even scratched the surface of what we could dig into to understand and appreciate the sovereignty and the authority of your word that transcends human wisdom, human understanding, human knowledge. But I pray that we've just grown a little bit more of an appreciation for it this morning. And Father, 2023, I pray that it would be a year where we just dig into the riches of Your Word. Forgive us for neglecting it. Forgive us for hiding it in a negative sense. May we hide it in a positive sense in that we are committed to hiding Your Word in our hearts so that we too might say, so that I don't sin against You. That we would say, as the psalmist does, that I just delight in Your decrees. So, Father, we thank You for Your Word, our rule book for living, our sure foundation in a world that offers so very little as far as truth and absolutes. We discover those things in Your Word which give us such a great framework to live by as we seek to serve You. Bring Your Word alive in us, we pray in Jesus' name, for Your glory and for our benefit. And God's people said...